pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can gather together like this. What a difference one year makes. And we are here together in numbers. And we are shouting the fact that you have risen. And so we are saying thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for each sister and brother that is here in person or online. And for the households that they represent. And for the spheres of influence that they have. And Lord, I pray now as we open up your words in scripture, I pray that you will illuminate the truth that you have for us. Your will is to speak to us, to lead us and guide us, and Holy Spirit to testify to Jesus. And so that's what we do this morning as we give our attention to you and worship you with our minds. So we commit all of this to you in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, uh, Sarah and Eric and the rest of the uh, Westview worship team. So thankful for all of you and the gifts that you share uh, through music. Um, I want to say another thank you also. Um, if you were uh, here on Good Friday, you uh, went through the um, Stations of the Cross. Uh, in the last while, we uh, have developed what is called a Reflections Team. It's a, it's a collective of artists of different kinds. And um, that is led by Ainsley Dahmer. And there are some other people on it. Yes. So... Uh, right now, Elaine Heilman, Mayra Heilman, Elijah Wiley, Sharon Olson, Virginia Dupuy, and Ed Biden, along with Ainsley. So let's give them a round of applause. Um, I, um, during the um, Stations of the Cross, I, I, I know this is kind of going to be a little awkward for one person, but I wanted to say a special thank you to Ainsley. Um, Ainsley um, conceived of the concept for those Stations of the Cross. She also wrote all of the scripting, of course, except for the scripture passages. <laughs> she had no hand in that whatsoever. Um, but she wrote all of that, and then she uh, directed it, she supported and coordinated, along with this fabulous Reflections team. And so, Ainsley, um, could you come up and just receive this token of appreciation uh, where, where are you? Ainsley. So steps over here. Um, I know, yeah, come on up. I, I know Ainsley is doing this because she has spiritual gifts that she wants to use for building up the body of Christ. And so this is not something she would anticipate. So I'm hoping you don't quit now. But here, it's thank over. you. Yeah, it's over. <laughs> Blessings to you. Thank you very much, Ainsley. Yep. Now, for the next object, um, you notice this pink pail here and these blocks. Um, any idea uh, uh, in the front row here or anybody else, any idea what these blocks could be used for? Jenga. Jenga. Um, uh, Naomi, are you, where's Naomi? I'm going to get Naomi to come up here and help me a bit with this, this uh, Jenga. And a lot of the adults are going, what the? Jenga, what the? So, um, Naomi, 
it looks like these are just a, a bunch of wooden blocks. To a carpenter, those look like sawed-off ends. Um, what is Jenga? Uh, it's a game where you try to stack the blocks to make like the tallest tower, a tall tower thing, and then you like pull out the blocks and then keep stacking them until it falls. Okay, so you stack the blocks first, and then after that you try and take blocks out, and whoever and you try to keep the thing standing. Okay, so I think I'd like to try that this morning. Um, and so why don't we start at the top? We'll set it up. Okay. Yeah, will that work? How do you set it up? You just start at the bottom and keep placing blocks. Oh, you start at the bottom. You don't start, yeah. I can't start in the middle? No. I can't start at the top? Well, there is no middle and top until you build the bottom. Yeah. That's good. Um, so I need, some, I need uh, someone to help Naomi because I'm going to get her to uh, set this up. And so, um, uh, sure, Noah and Garrett, why don't you come and help? Just, we're going to set this up right here. Yeah, and see how quickly you can get it going. So let's see how we're going to get it fairly high. And, you know, while that's going on, so here's the thing. We're starting... Um, Raising this question about uh, heaven. Raise this question about the gospel or about heaven. But the real question specifically then is, um, where do we start? What is the foundation, if you will, of heaven? What is the sequence or what is of most importance? What is the foundation? That's what we're going to explore in this series that we're undertaking starting today. It is called Heaven, Mystery, or Victory. Mystery and Victory. So in this series that we're starting today, we're not going to answer all the questions about heaven, but we are going to answer some very specific ones about heaven. And so maybe we're going to need to do a net, another series uh, on it in order to uh, uh, answer more of the questions. I think that's awesome. Have you almost emptied the bucket? Yeah. You did. That rocks. Thank you. Uh, so let's, since you're in a clapping mood, give them a round of applause. And now the perfectionism takes over. That's good. Thank you. That, that'll do. Yeah. So that's okay. Thank you, Naomi. So the question then is, they started here, the foundation. What is the foundation what is the foundation of heaven? There are a lot of philosophers that conceived of life and death. In the 8th century BC, so influencing the people of the Old Testament era. So in the 8th century BC, there was someone by the name of Homer. If you study English or art, you may, or philosophy, you would know about the philosopher Homer, 8th century BC. And his, the, the philosophy he advanced that people took to was that when someone is dead, they're gone for good. Or he relented and said, well, maybe they're in this really dismal place called Hades. Then the next philosopher that had a major persuasion on the way people think was Plato, 4th century BC. 
And what Plato said is that the materiality or what is physical is bad. And spiritual is good and physical is bad. And so the idea that he developed philosophically was that at death, the soul gets freed from the body and is finally liberated. And so things like space and time and physical materiality is of very little consequence. So all through the Old Testament era and on, the philosophers and the thinkers were saying, look, when you die, there's no coming back. It's a one-way street. And then we have the Apostle Paul, who makes his way into the city, a Greek city, called Corinth. This is a picture of Kimberly and I took when we were in Corinth. In this Greek city, of course, now it's in ruins. But Paul went into Corinth. Now, Corinth was a major metropolis at the time of the first century, the first 30-year A.D., 40 A.D., and so on. In fact, it outshone Athens at the time. 80,000 population, a major urban center. It was very wealthy. It was multi-ethnic. It was a major urban center. And in this major urban center, there was a cocktail of different philosophies and ways of thinking. In fact, they prided themselves in being very philosophical and having strong business acumen. So it is no wonder then, when Paul came to this Greek city in the first place, that they doubted and disagreed with a message about life after life. In fact, they disagreed and they doubted to such an extent that they said, Paul, what are you talking about? And today, 2023, I think we still have questions. But I, if we're honest, I think we still have doubts. Because there are things that we cannot see. And so we're not sure. And we wonder how can we be sure. And maybe with all the sort of uh, current level of art and, and poetry and philosophy, we think, well, people are just taking artistic license. But there couldn't possibly be something called heaven or life after life. And I would also let you know that Plato continues to be a major influence in the way people think, even the way Christians think. Because Plato developed this idea of what could be called dualism, and that is that human beings ultimately exist only spiritually. And that we actually separate spirit and matter, and that when we die, it's strictly a spiritual reality and not a physical one. And if you're careful when you listen to certain songs, you'll even hear that advanced in those kinds of songs. But that's not biblical, it's Plato and philosophy. And then we have scientists and tech people. And we like, when we're in science and tech, we like binary. We like zeros and ones. We like empirical data. That was the case for uh, Dr. Francis Collins. He was an atheist. He headed up the first ever genome project. He is no longer an atheist. He's an evangelical Christian. But he went into it as an atheist. But he discovered something 
about the created order, something about creation at that level of minutia. And he began to worship. There's something about creation. There's something about spring, about, about a tulip that looks like a stone, rock, cold, dead object that is in the ground. But then somehow, at springtime, it comes up out of the ground and blooms. This picture is actually of a Pasca flower. A Pasca flower is a perennial and is one of the first ones to bloom in spring. It's called the Pasca flower. You could look it up. I mean, is creation actually sort of testifying to something about coming back to life? This, uh, Steve Cripps uh, gets the photo credit on this, by the way. He and I rode for a hike, and he was telling me about this flower. I invite you to look it up. So then if this is the case, the creation is already sort of testifying and, and so on, then it raises more questions about life after life. It raises more questions about heaven. Uh, for example, well, what is heaven? Where is heaven? Who goes to heaven? Do I go to heaven? And when we get to close in on those kinds of questions, we're now making certain assumptions and presuppositions here. When we ask those kinds of questions, we're beginning to acknowledge that, yeah, maybe there is life after life. Maybe that's what eternal life is. And then we make this assumption that we go and that it's a place, a place that we go to. And we're actually assuming that some people go, but some people don't. And we're assuming also when we ask these questions, a presupposition is that it's good or that it's great. What is the foundation of heaven? What is foremost about it? Both in terms of sequence and also importance. For that, we are going to turn to one of the earliest Christian creeds. One of the earliest Christian creeds that followers of Jesus began to recite probably within a couple of years of Jesus' death. It's, it's believed that this creed, now captured in Scripture, was one that they began first by speaking orally uh, two or three years after Jesus' death. It's found in 1 Corinthians 15. If you would take your Bibles, please, and go to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul has been to the city of Corinth... And a church of Jesus followers has developed and has started there, people from all walks of life. And now he has left, and now he's writing letters back to the congregation in, in this city of Corinth. And he wants to tell them and remind them of the message that he gave to them when he was there with them in person. And listen to what he says about this 
message that he is wanting to remind them of. He says, now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaimed to you, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firm, firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. Paul is reminding them of the message that he originally spoke to them and taught to them. And it's so, again, this highlights the importance of memory and of remembering and retelling the story. Because we can so easily forget and we can so easily allow the good news, what is good, to be crowded out by the bad. And so Paul says, I want to remind you again, I want to retell of good news. And he says, I proclaim, I describe this to you. And why is he so adamant about this particular message? He's adamant about this particular message because he says that this message saves. He said this message is, you are being saved by this message. When you hear this message, and all of you are hearing this message this morning and on live stream, you have a choice that you get to make about what you're going to do with what you've heard. And faith is the activity which makes the power of the gospel message efficacious in your life. With what we are talking about this morning, faith is the activity of making what we are talking about this morning, the power of what we're talking about, effective in your life if you choose to believe it. That's why when Paul writes in Romans 1, he starts by saying in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. To everyone who believes. To everyone who has faith. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. The power of the gospel to everyone who has faith. Actually, the message in speaking the message has power and efficacy. But only when we believe and have faith and, and ascribe it to our lives and the way we live. Well, what is the detail of this message? I mean, we need to know what is, what is the message. What is he actually talking about? Verse 3. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received. I handed on to you of first importance what I in turn had received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. That he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. That's the message. That Jesus was killed, but then he was raised back to life. And he was killed, and in the process, he died for our sins. 
One of the concepts that we need to understand fully is sin. Sometimes we say it's missing the mark, it's making mistakes, it's errors, and so on. And that's good and that's fine. But to get a fuller understanding of sin, sin is alienation from God. It is separating from God. It is choosing our way, not God's way. And so when Paul says Christ died for our sins, Christ experienced alienation in our place so that we would not have to be alienated. No wonder then that alienation and sin leads ultimately to death because God is life and love. And if we alienate ourselves further and further away from life and love, we will naturally experience and start to express evil, wickedness, and ultimately die. Christ died for our sins. And he was buried. But then he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. Now, it's important to understand that he was buried and that he was raised after three days. He was really and truly dead. This wasn't an apparition. It wasn't like he was comatose. He was buried. Days passed. And then he was raised to life according to in accordance with Scripture. And that phrase, in accordance with Scripture, all of these details is beautiful details in accordance with Scripture. What Paul is doing there is, it's not eisegesis, he's not proof texting in. What he's saying is that Scripture, and in his case, it would have been the Old Testament. He's saying in accordance with the Old Testament. That is, that the Old Testament has been written and being attested to leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That it culminates and builds to this point. Jesus himself talked to the gentlemen that were on the road. They were leaving Jerusalem. They were on the road to Emmaus. They were saying, forget it, I'm done. We can't do this. He's crucified. Jesus meets them and he explains to them everything that the Old Testament was writing from the prophets and the Pentateuch and all of that. Paul is affirming. He's saying all of this is about Jesus Christ and his burial and resurrection. And then he says that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, that is the disciples. He appeared to more than 500 sisters and brothers. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And they have seen and they have heard. In other words, that they recognized Jesus. There was some continuity to Jesus after he was raised. There was some continuity. You could recognize him and go, oh, I recognize after I've kind of rubbed my eyes, I can actually, yeah, that looks actually like Jesus. And I hear him and his voice, yeah, that actually sounds like Jesus. There's a continuity, but there's a discontinuity because something is also different continuity and discontinuity. And the other thing he's pointing out is that with all of these people, that what he is saying can be verified. There's over 500 people, he says, and most of them are still alive. A couple have died, but most of them are still alive. If you're wondering what I'm talking about, go and talk to them and you'll find out. And that's really interesting, but that doesn't even end there. Paul then doubles down in the next verse. Verse 8, he emphasizes, he bolsters his claim. In verse 8, he says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. 
For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it wasn't me, uh, I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul gives personal testimony here. He says, actually, the risen Jesus appeared to me. And this is Paul. This is Paul who was, like, taught by the best Hebrew teachers. He was a, 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 a Pharisee of Pharisees, he had this amazing resume. And not only that, he was, when, when people started talking about Jesus and all this business started breaking out, he went and got a letter that allowed him to actually put Christians in jail or kill them. I need paperwork for this. I'm going to go out. I'm going to persecute these people. I'm going to put them in jail. They're going to get killed. We're going to take care of this. That was Paul who met the living Jesus Christ and it radically changed his life. That's who the Apostle Paul is. That is what I call the transforming power of grace. Paul didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. It wasn't something he did. But God said, I'm going to show myself to you. I'm going to communicate with you. And I, it doesn't, you can be like the worst person currently on earth, but I'm going to give my grace to you, and I'm going to say, come and believe in me, and let me change your life. And instead of taking life, you're going to give life by the words you speak, and in fact, you're going to give up your own life. Willing. And oh, did he ever. His resume changed. But the message doesn't end there. If I, I calculate, if there are 500 plus the disciples, 12, plus all the apostles, let's say that's another 20, plus Cephas, plus James, let's round it 525 to 550 people. If you gave 525 or 550 people each five minutes to tell their story, you'd have 45 hours of solid, personal, verbal testimony. And you know what's weird? 520 people, 45 hours of back-to-back -back testimony. You know what's weird about that? Look at verse 11. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. Paul says, look, whether it was me or whether it was them, we all have described the same thing. 520 people have all described, the essence of what they described is the same. It's consistent. If I asked all you folks when you leave here and I asked you to come back in half an hour and I gave each of you five minutes to describe what happened here, I think I wouldn't get exactly the same story. But they had exactly the same description and proclamation. And Paul says, it's amazing, the consistency. And it wasn't just me. It's not just coming from me. It's coming from everybody else. And this is what we all collectively have said. And that's what you have come to believe. And I want you to believe it. So the foundation of heaven. 
is the raised Christ Jesus. Let me put it another way. The foundation, that is the sequence with which we come to understand heaven and the importance of what is most important. Let me put it another way. It begins with a person. Person precedes place. If Christ Jesus is not raised, then there is no eternal life. If Christ Jesus is not raised, then there is no forgiveness of sin. That means there is no reconciliation and there is no closeness with God. There is ultimately alienation with God. If Christ is not raised, then there is no place. You will see in the subsequent verses that actually what Paul goes on to speak about, and we're going to talk about it next week, but I'm just going to touch on it here, is that he says, if Christ is not raised, then your faith, all our faith is useless and it's in vain. If Christ is not raised, because then there is no eternal life, there is no forgiveness of sin, we are still alienated, and if he isn't alive right now and somewhere right now, then there is no place. And your faith is in vain and my preaching is in vain, and we may as well just take out the bottom blocks right there and let this thing topple. But Christ is raised from the dead. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Listen, if Christ is risen, and he is one that can be recognized and seen and heard, then that means that Christ Jesus is somewhere right now. I mean, I don't know. I'm a bit warm, but I'm still getting some chills. Like, I want this to sink in. This isn't philosophy. This is, this is historicity. Something happened to Jesus that happened to nobody else ever up to this point. Something happened to Jesus that has never happened before in all of history. And there's all this evidence in testimony and creation and personal account, verbal then written, to bring to light. And that means if Christ is risen, then sin, which is alienation from God, has been defeated. It means it, it doesn't have the power it means that ultimately death, being fully separated from love and life, has been defeated in Jesus. He did it. Praise the Lord. Christ is risen. You know, the gospel, you and Gelion, is where we get the word evangelical from. That word has been forklifted and usurped. I can't even, I would just do a whole other thing on evangelical. But it means good news. That's the gospel. And it's news, as Paul was saying, proclaiming the good news. It's news because people, two reasons. People didn't know. They still don't know. There are people in your workplace and in your neighborhood who still don't know this. Honestly. When I was working in business in Toronto, I was coming across MBAs, people of all kinds of different ethnicities and backgrounds and education, and they haven't heard, really. So it's news because even his day and in our day, some people don't know or they don't understand. And it's good because of the character of God himself. 
It's good because there is life. And life both in terms of, it's a qualitative word. It means life with love and grace and mercy and kindness and gentleness. It's good because the Father, the God the Father, caring, reaching, giving, sacrificing. God the Son and Jesus Christ coming, sacrificing, empathizing with us. And God the Holy Spirit in all His power and might restraining and containing that power until Christ had faced death, done alienation, and then the power of the Holy Spirit raised Jesus on the, from the dead after three days by the power of the Holy Spirit in accordance with Scripture. That's why it's good. Eternal life. The resurrection of Jesus points to the reality that there is life after this life. And what you're going to hear me say in subsequent weeks as we go through this journey is that there is life after life after life hereafter. There is life after life after life hereafter. And it's a physical, bodily life in relationship with God and each other. It's not a disembodied life as Plato would philosophize and so many people subscribe to. No, Jesus rose physically, bodily. It's a physical, bodily life. It's the reversal of death because it brings us into relationship and into uh, uh, closeness with God and each other. And we understand from the Bible what it truly means to be human. Biblical anthropology means physical, emotional, mental, but also relational. It's all of that is what it means to be human. And that is what it will be for all eternity. But you will need faith. You heard the message. The message that Paul gave to the church in Corinth that I'm speaking to you again this morning, that our ancestors have been speaking for centuries upon centuries. We continue to retell this story. I want you to know something about faith in that it is both inclusive and exclusive combined. Heaven and eternal life, as John says, begins now. You receive eternal life already. And entrance into eternal life and entrance into heaven has nothing to do with your morals or your ethics. It has nothing to do with systems of religion or hierarchies or five or six hundred rules that the Pharisees set up. It has to do with the risen Jesus Christ. And listen, you exercise your faith on a daily basis. Uh, when you take a prescription or when you take medication or a drug. Uh, this winter I was playing hockey and uh, I would tweak a couple of things every once in a while. And eventually, if I was really bad, I would take a, a, a naproxen. What I'm trying to figure out is how does that little blue thing know where my ache and pain is? But I 
take one of those, eat something, and believe when I go to bed that it's going to solve my, uh, whatever this is called, my wife knows, but it's right in here. When you deposit money into the bank, you have faith in a bank system, and you don't even, you don't know any of those people. Well, you might know one or two, but you don't know the bankers. And you, you, all of whatever you have in the way of monetary possession is sitting in a bank that you have, you have no idea, but you have faith in that. When you take a trip, whether you're on a bicycle or a motorcycle or a vehicle or whether you actually get in a plane... You are exercising faith. It's not just that you believe it. You're actively doing something that demonstrates you have faith. In a pilot, you don't know anything about. In the mechanics, you don't know anything about. And what Paul and I are urging and inviting you to do is place your faith in this message that has the power to continue to save you, the risen Jesus Christ. And it is both inclusive and exclusive. That is that anybody can believe this message. Everyone is invited to believe. But it's exclusive because we understand that the basis of heaven and eternal life is Jesus Christ. So you must begin with him. He's not handing out tickets. He said he was this great shepherd. He is showing us the way. He also said that he was the gate of the door. He is the way. He's not handing out tickets on a ride to go somewhere. He's saying, follow me, learn from me, and I will guide you every step of the way. As you go through this life, I will guide you in that transitional time. I will guide you and be with you to the end of the age. And nothing will be able to separate me and you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is inclusive and it is exclusive. I'm going to pause for Q&R. T.Y., would you mind bringing my water bottle up when you come? Um, You can text or email to ask at westviewchurch.ca and we will take your questions. You can stand where you are and we'll bring a microphone to you and you can ask your question. We encourage questions. Uh, I anticipate that there will be questions during this series. We're going to be on this series for uh, the rest of April. If you want to read ahead, read the rest of 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to be exploring it. So some of the questions that you have, oh, thanks, dude. Um, you, you, uh, we may answer in the coming weeks, but if you have any questions about what we've just been talking about, then I urge you to stand where you are, text or email your question in, and we will uh, respond. <clears throat> I think you crushed it. Well, um, Check your email tomorrow. Check, check, yeah, check, check the email. Check the, the, the junk folder. Sometimes it goes there. Uh, what about, you know, uh, this, this idea of, a, of, of this being both inclusive and exclusive? Surely some of you were wondering, well, that doesn't sound what? 
Say it. Nice. Fair. Right? It doesn't sound fair. It's a popular word. Fair. We have, we, we have it seems to me that um, we, we, we tend to apply our laws of understanding in different ways. Sort of, it's called, actually, what it's called is selective attention. But two times three is six. It's not five unless you do a plus. It's not seven. So it, it is actually the way it actually is. So there are things that are actually the way it is. The bus leaves at six. If you get there at seven or eight, you will have missed the bus. It's not that, so this matter of fairness, actually it's entirely kind and important and valuable for me to, to tell you when the bus schedule is and when the bus is leaving. It's really important to understand that there is a way of going about this and you could say, well, that's not fair. I'd like to start at the top. I'd like to start in the middle. Well, Naomi correctly advises that there is no middle until you get going. There is no heaven without the risen Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, so fair. We got to rethink it. I like it. I like, you know. Do have a chance for anyone in the congregation or else I'll grab a seat? All right. Well, then we're going to continue. You can send them in after the fact. And, and you can, the reason we do this... Um, by text or email is, they, they bit it pretty well, didn't they? I, I mean, <laughs> Naomi pointed out one of the flaws in there, but, or one of the points of vulnerability. We're going to get to this later, uh, next week again. I'm not done with Jenga. Uh, music team, why don't you come up onto the platform, please? I want to finish with this. Tyler read these words in our invocation. These words, man, Jesus had made some close friendships. Three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were close friends of his. And Lazarus, his close friend, died. And he was put into a cave. Jesus got there. Martha came out. And she was so honest and real with Jesus. And she said, where have you been? If you had been here, my, my brother and your friend wouldn't have died. And Jesus said this. He said, I am the resurrection. Martha, I am and give eternal life. Do you believe this? And so my question here for you all this morning is, the message that I have given, that Paul gave, and people have been giving throughout the centuries, my question to you is, do you believe this? That is your act of faith. If you ascribe it to your life, you will have and receive the power of that message to change and continue to save your life.
The second thing I want to tell you is that to remember and remind yourself of the centrality of the gospel, the foundation of the gospel is that Jesus Christ was raised. If people want to know what you believe, you can get all spiritual and you can try and reach for all kinds of fancy ropes and pulleys. Or you can say, I believe that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, and then after three days he was raised to life and is now sitting at the right hand of God. You just start there. Paul says that you saying those words has power. It will change you and it will change the other person and the Holy Spirit will, is, is there working with those words. So this morning, I want to ask you to pray with me. Would you bow your heads, please? I want to invite you completely in this countercultural experience that we're having right now. I want to invite you if you want to say for the first time, I believe this message. For the first time, I believe this. This is, it's finally, I finally get it. I'm finally making that step and I believe this. I want you to just raise your hand and say, yes, I believe this. For the first time, I believe this. And you're going to raise your hand and with confidence say, you know what? I do. I do. And for some of you here this morning, I want to also invite you, if, if you've been struggling and you've been doubting and you've been wondering and you've been trying to figure out what is the focus, and you want to recommit yourself from this day forward, April 9th, 2023, that you're going to give your life to this very simple, straightforward message. You're going to recommit yourself this morning. Then I want you to raise your hand and say, I'm committing myself. I'm recommitting myself this morning to this message. Then put up your hand. You're recommitting, yes. Yeah. Yes. You're recommitting yourself. We're going to go on this journey about heaven, this mystery and this victory. By the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ.
Because he lives. 